Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hoop Scoop Pod. My name is Nate, and I'm here doing a solo pod where I'll do a brief coverage of two of the more interesting teams in the NBA and what I'm looking for for the rest of the season, some big news regarding one of the teams, and how I think that's going to affect the whole NBA landscape going into the playoffs. Let's take it away. So, first I want to talk about the injury news that hit the NBA that affects this team that I'm about to speak about, the conference, which is the East, and the league as a whole. And that's the news that Ben Simmons is dealing with back problems with the Philadelphia 76ers. Simmons, it was reported, had some back pain. He went to see a specialist. They diagnosed it as nerve impingement. And as of now, he's classified as being out for at least two weeks where they will reevaluate him and then see what they're going to do moving forward. There is no specific timetable regarding Simmons and his, as, and his injury. And we don't know what the future holds for Simmons. I don't think it's out of the cards that he misses the whole season. Obviously, nobody wants to see that. But it doesn't seem impossible. Backs are not, never anything to play with. And back injuries are scary because they're they're hard to treat. Sometimes it's just something you have to deal with. Sometimes it's something that requires surgery. You never really know what to do with backs. So it's a scary time for Ben Simmons. I hope he's good to play. The Sixers are an interesting team to say the least. And if he was to miss the postseason, it would be a huge blow to them. On top of that, Joel Embiid recently injured his shoulder in a game and he will be missing some time as well they're saying he'll be out at least one week so right now the Sixers are relying on Shake Milton who had a really stellar game tonight 39 points today excuse me 39 points against the Clippers obviously Tobias Harris is going to get a big load They don't have their stars there. Josh Richardson is still missing time. So for a Philadelphia team that was already particularly disjointed, who really needed to use these last 25 games to get into some kind of rhythm that they could hope to withhold going through the playoffs, we don't even know if they're going to have their team when they're in the playoffs, especially Ben Simmons. So... What do I make of this in terms of how it affects the league? Do I think the Sixers still have a shot? What do, what do I think are the ramifications? I think even before this injury, just by the way they were playing, I probably would have favored definitely the Bucks and maybe even the Raptors and Sixers ahead. Sorry, Raptors and Celtics ahead of the Sixers in the postseason. I say that tentatively because I. Th- I don't know. Obviously, I think that the Sixers have a ton of talent, and before the year, I thought it was going to come down to the Sixers and the Bucks. But the way they've been playing, the way that it's just been so inconsistent, especially with Embiid and Simmons are both on the floor, they haven't been able to get into a rhythm. They've dealt with injuries all year. Boston and Toronto have just been the more cohesive and consistent groups. With that being said, I still think that Joel Embiid, after Giannis, is the best, is the second best player in the East. I still think that, especially against Boston, they provide a huge matchup issue where I think a Boston-Philadelphia series, I, I would tilt in Philadelphia's favor just because of the matchups. They, 
they don't have an answer for the physicality and size that Philadelphia presents, in my opinion. But at the same time, Philadelphia has a lot of problems in its own right where they can't play on the road. They're still missing a true point guard. Shooting still something that comes and goes for them. So let's start with Simmons. I hope this Simmons thing isn't too bad. I hope that he's good to play by the postseason and we can watch this Philadelphia team culminate to something and and, tr- and try to make some sense of what they are going into the offseason, whether they succeed or don't. Now we don't know what to make of them if if Simmons does not play. Because at the end of the day, Philadelphia can do what they need to do in the regular season. This team is going to be judged based on their postseason performance and how far they go. We, we've seen enough of this team to have an idea of what they are, but when it comes down to it, if they don't get it done in the postseason, it doesn't matter in the regular season. And in that same breath, they can struggle mightily in the regular season, but if they had a great postseason and made the finals, nobody would care. It would be completely forgotten their struggles that they've had all regular season. But as Simmons doesn't play, you can't you can't judge this team anymore. It turns into a thing where you're saying, oh, you know, we, we got to give it one more run because we didn't even get to see it. We didn't even get to see it in the playoffs. So that's tricky. That's a tricky situation. I hope he gets to play, obviously. Again, backs are scary, so I don't know. It's going to be a situation that's monitored closely. It's going to be extremely telling when the news comes out about that reevaluation, what we want to think about his future for this season. But Philadelphia, they're not providing us with a lot of information. We're not fully sure what the extent is, what the information they have is. All we know right now is it's a back problem and that the future is cloudy. That's all we know. All we know is that we don't know. So the MB thing people aren't as worried about. It seems like shoulder sprain. He'll be out for about a week. But we'll see how they do in his absence. They had a game a couple nights ago against the Knicks, which is the Knicks. They won by nine. Looked fine doing it. Defense has been pretty pretty solid. Today they struggled a little bit at times against the Clippers, but honestly, com- comparatively, I think that they held their own on both sides of the ball today. They got shooting out of Shake Milton. Horford looked, even though his numbers weren't crazy, he looked more comfortable on the floor. I saw him do more Horford-esque things, especially offensively. Found more space on, on the court where I think usually Embiid and even Simmons at times is kind of crowding it for him. But we'll see what happens when MB comes back. And if Simmons does miss the whole year, if he's out for the postseason, which would be a shame, do I think that Philadelphia is down and out? Do I think that the Sixers have a chance at making some noise without Ben Simmons? I do think that they have a chance to to make some noise. Now, you might ask, what does that mean? I'm being vague. I I am. I th- I, I don't think they would have a chance against Milwaukee. I think that they could still make the Eastern Conference Finals without Ben Simmons. You can call me crazy, but I I truly do. And I know that might sound contradictory to what I just talked about in terms of putting Toronto, Boston slightly ahead of them. But listen, I I don't think it takes an expert to realize that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid has not been a seamless fit. They're both extremely talented players in their own rights, but it does not mesh like a puzzle on the basketball floor. And we've seen both of these guys, when they're on the floor without the other, 
have extremely productive nights, extremely productive games where it doesn't seem like they're they're missing the other player. These are two extremely talented players who do very different things on the court but don't really come on each other. I don't think that Ben Simmons makes Joel Embiid better, honestly, and I don't really know if Embiid makes Simmons better. I think that when they're on the same court, it's more to, it's more to deal with. It's just more firepower. Defensively is where they're going to miss Simmons, especially. He's such a problem defensively. The Thibault thing, the Thibault factor, I think, helps, opposed to last year where he's a guy that you can throw in defense that will really wreak some havoc that they didn't have last year. So that helps them in terms of making up for Simmons' absence, and he's really becoming an integral part of their rotation. But Embiid is... As I said, I think the the best player in the East outside of Giannis. I don't think Boston has a matchup for them. Toronto, I think, will give them more problems just because they're so equally spread out within their team. They have so many options, and defensively, they play great team defense, really good team defense. Boston does as well, but, but Boston just doesn't have the physicality that I think Toronto does. I think that Philadelphia can still get the job done. Not beat the Bucks, but I think they can make the Eastern Conference Finals without Simmons. I do. Hopefully, we don't have to find the answer to that because fingers crossed that Simmons is back for the postseason. But as of now, we don't know what to think. As of now, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Philadelphia is going to be extremely interesting to watch, especially when MB gets back to see how they do without Simmons and get an idea of what this team might look like if we are handed a Philadelphia squad that is without Ben. So that's a situation to closely monitor. Some big news coming out of Philadelphia with the Ben Simmons stuff. Hopefully it's nothing too bad, but again, you don't know with backs. It's something to monitor for sure. Next team that I want to talk about briefly is probably what I would say the Sixers of the West in the sense that they're just extremely interesting and confusing and inconsistent all in one, but at the same time have probably about as much talent as anybody, and that's the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets have been on a roll. They, they, they've been on a roll. Nobody's really been talking about Houston, but quietly have just been chipping away games ever since they in- integrated this full small ball lineup. Right now, they are on a six-game win streak. Impressive wins include two wins against the Boston Celtics, who people might see as their small ball counterpart in the East. And then a win at Utah, which is a nice win, although Utah's really been reeling. Really weird season for Utah, I might add. Don't know what to make of them still. Mike Conley has never gotten the rhythm, but... We'll save our Utah talk for another day. And then a dominant performance against Memphis Grizzlies, where that was a primetime matchup on ESPN, I believe, and they just took it to Memphis. It really, from the opening quarter, wasn't even a contest. They ran up and down the floor. Memphis couldn't keep up. It was 140 to 112 route in favor of the Rockets. Now, what do I make of this Houston team? What do I make of... Kind of what we have a bit now that we have a bigger sample size with this small ball lineup. Well, 
it's weird because I don't think that much differently about the Rockets, honestly, in terms of their chances in the Western Conference since this lineup shift, since they got rid of Capella and ushered in Robert Covington. I still think that Houston has a ton of talent. I still think that, honestly, they've been playing well enough where I'd probably pick them in a series over anybody but the Clippers and the Lakers. But part of that is the fact that I used to be super high on Utah, and I'm just not as high on Utah anymore. And I just think that highly of the Clippers and Lakers. I don't think they're in that class yet. When they added Robert Covington, it helped them integrate this type of style. But listen, they weren't adding Kawhi Leonard. They weren't adding Paul George. They weren't adding an elite all-star level 3 and D guy. They're adding Robert Covington, who is a good player, who helps them, who's a really good team defender, who can knock down threes at a high clip. But listen, he's going to stand and shoot threes. And it helps the way that they play, that they want to play now. But I just don't think he's the difference when it comes to playing against some of these really elite-level teams in the West. With that being said, this has unlocked Russell Westbrook. This has taken Russell Westbrook's play to another level. And he's just been on absolute tear. And honestly, I can't remember having more fun watching Russell Westbrook play. It's amazing because... He's notoriously, or not notoriously, he is honestly maybe the worst volume three-point shooter of all time. He might be the worst three-point shooter that consistently took a lot of them throughout his career. That, uh, listen, I like Russell Westbrook as a player. I always have. But he just, it's a fact. He's taken too many three-pointers throughout his career. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's a bad three-point shooter by NBA standards. He's not good at it. And I think he just started to realize, especially with this new lineup, the paint's open. We have four players on the perimeter. We don't even have a big man. We're not even doing pick and rolls because we don't even have a roll guy. I'm just going to get this ball, and I'm going to go to the rim, and I don't care if... The player defending me is going to give me eight feet. I'm just going to go anybody. I'm going to take it right into his chest. And maybe I'll pull up for an elbow jumper sometimes. Which he has, at times in his career, been effective with. That kind of pop and stop jumper on a dime. Because he is so explosive and he does move so quickly that it's hard to get up and contest when he rises up for a mid-range jumper. And I'm okay with those shots. Those shots... He's, he's made in his career, and at times they're extremely effective. The dribble around, three-point shoot uh, shots, the coming transition and hucking up 25-footers, those are, those are not effective and never have been for Russell Westbrook. But he's just playing his way right now. He is playing a style of basketball that is relentless, that is, in a way, stubborn, where... The defense is saying, okay, you can't shoot three-pointers, so we're going to make you do this. And he's saying, okay, you can make me do that. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to take the ball to your chest and drive for a layup or a dunk or get contact or kick it out. 
that's just going to be his style. He's just going to go. He's going to play north-south. And he's been on absolute tear. Absolute tear. In the month of February, averaging 33 points per game. The number that is just awesome, that you never see with Russell Westbrook, is he's shooting 55% from the field. I would like to do a stat. I would like to do a stat. Has there ever been a month in the last five seasons that he's shot 50% from the field? I'd like to know. Maybe he has. I'm doing a quick look right now. Last year, did he ever have a month where he shot 50% from the field? No. Last year, he did not. In 27 to 20, 2017 to 2018, did, did he ever? This was his first year with Paul George. Let's take a look. He did not. How about 2016 to 2017? His MVP season. His MVP season. Did he ever have a month where he shot 50% from the field? He did not. He did not. So, I didn't even go that far back. But the last three seasons. So, that's the two seasons with Paul George and the Thunder. And then that one solo year where he just went triple-doubles every night. And that was his MVP year. Not a single time did he have a month where he shot 50% from the field. Not a single time did Russell Westbrook in the last three seasons have a month where he shot 50% from the field. This this month, he's shooting 55%. He's shooting 55% from the field, and he's only taking two and a half threes a game. That is just Russell Westbrook basketball at its finest. He's averaging 33 a game this month. And guess what? It's The month is over. It's now March 1st. But in the month of February, the Rockets played... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Eight games, they went seven and one, and their only loss was a, a one point defeat to the Jazz, where he still shot eighteen for thirty three, one for thirty nine points. So if Russell Westbrook is playing like this, I don't, I still don't think the Rockets can beat the Clippers and Lakers. But man, is it going to be fun to watch? It is going to be fun to watch because he pre- he provides an element to this Houston team that they haven't had before. They haven't had a guy that can just bust a game open with this kind of talent. He's honestly playing some of the best basketball I've ever seen him play, which is crazy because Russell Westbrook, he's he's a superstar. He really is. He's a superstar in the NBA. He has been for the last some, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8 years. It's Russell Westbrook. But in 2019 to 2020, at age 31, I think this is the best version of Russell Westbrook we've ever seen. I really do. This is the kind of Russell Westbrook that we've always been wanting to see. We've always looked at him and said, Oh my God, if you could just stop taking these stupid jumpers. If you could just be the athlete that you are. Take it to the rim. Draw fouls. Get to the line. Use your playmaking ability to collapse the defense. And it also helps the shooting around him. It does. Because to be fair, to be fair to Russell Westbrook, and there might be some Thunder people who are listening to this and saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to do when you have James Harden and other guys on your team. Yeah, you're right. It is when you have players around you and this kind of system. But we can't, we can't sit here and deny that there's been a mindset change in Russell Westbrook. And it's been fun to watch, and I, I hope that it sticks in the playoffs. 
I hope that they get a matchup with the Clippers or the Lakers, and we see this come out. And we see them really force the hands of these teams, and they have to put a, one of their star defenders on him. And see what kind of production we can get in Westbrook in the playoffs. That'll be fun to watch. But right now, Houston is a team that's trending upwards. And it's mostly due to the play of Russell Westbrook, because James Harden's struggling a little bit. He is. Last A couple nights ago, they had a overtime thrilling win against the Boston Celtics on the road. Westbrook goes for 41. Westbrook goes for 41 points on 16 of 27. Crazy efficiency for Westbrook. 41 points on 27 shots. Not too often you see you used to see that from Westbrook. Harden went, I think, 7 for 23. Missed a lot of threes. Missed a lot of threes. Westbrook just kept on pounding. Kept on getting to the rim. Boston didn't know what to do with him. This is the best battle of Russell Westbrook's career. And people should definitely be taking notice of it. So that'll wrap that for this week's edition of the Hoopscoop Pod. My name is Nate. If you like our content, follow us on Twitter, at Pod. Listen to our content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And as always, tune in next week for another scoop of the hoop.